You're listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. This week's message is preached by Pastor Scott McGrady. You take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We're looking at verses 14 through 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. And as you turn there, you'll see that then that concludes 2 Peter for us. And so this, this finishes our series, Stand Firm, which brought us through First and Second Peter. Uh, next week I will be gone, uh, so I won't be here, but uh, the pastor of High Point Baptist Church uh, down in Larksville, just below Wilkesbury, uh, Pastor Matt Tarr, he'll be here and he will be bringing God's word uh, to us then, and so we're grateful for that. And then after that we will begin a series in First and Second Timothy. But for right now, again, we are going to finish up here our series, Stand Firm, as we finish 2 Peter. In the 1950s, the idea of tornado warnings came to the United States. They had to believe in Britain. They had already been uh, worked on and used in different ways, but the idea came to the U.S. in the 50s. It came about as President Harry Truman uh, set up air sirens to warn of nuclear attacks uh, that could take place during the Cold War. These sirens began to be used as tornado warning systems, advanced as, as meteorology science advanced, and, and the advancement in science and, and combined with these warning systems through the air horns all became paramount in people uh, receiving information as soon as possible, the half forewarning that a tornado was heading their way, way that they could take shelter. And according to Scientific America, while science does not have the tools to stop a tornado, this is a quote, we don't have the tools to stop a tornado from touching down, we are able to drastically reduce the loss of life and property. Site-specific forecasts keep people informed well ahead of time of a tornado and provide enough time for them to take shelter. And so we see there in this the importance of being forewarned and, and, and what can happen when one is forewarned. As we've seen in Second Peter, Peter has been warning his readers of false teachers and their lies. And he has been bringing assurance to them of the truth that Jesus Christ is indeed going to return and that there is coming judgment. And then he told them of the promise of the new heaven and new earth. And he says, as we'll see in our text here this morning, he says that they have then been forewarned. And being forewarned, they should watch out that they themselves are not carried away with the errors of the false teachers. Being warned of danger ahead of time is really important and very vital in saving, as we see in the tornado warning system, saving both physical life but more importantly, as we see here in 2 Peter, saving one's eternal soul. And so as we see these things, uh, we bring 2 Peter to a close. Last week we saw how knowing that the earth and these current heavens, the, the physical universe is going to be destroyed, knowing this should have implications for how we live that we are to be pursuing holiness and living in reverent worship, living to please our God, 
as we live this life in this current world. That we are to be pursuing the things of God in everything, looking to our eternal home in the new heavens, the new earth, where we will be with our Lord forever, where we will will live with him in his everlasting kingdom. And now as we come to this last section here in 2 Peter, we see that Peter draws a logical conclusion to all of these things. And so let's read our text here for this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So again, as we we see the text here, as we begin, verse 14 begins with the word, therefore, or it could also be translated as, for this reason. So since everything is going to be destroyed in a fiery judgment, as this, these heavens and, and earth will be melted away, and then will come our eternal home in the new heavens and new earth. Therefore, since we are waiting for these things, Peter commands his, his recipients of his letter Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, when he says here that we are to be diligent to be found by Christ, uh, saying to be found is really the same word that we discussed back in verse 10 of chapter 3. When we read the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Uh, The word translated there, exposed, is the word in question here now as well. And we said that that word then referred to final judgment as it carried, carries this judicial sense to it. So what Peter is saying then is that we are to be doing our part, living in light of the coming judgment, our eternal home, to be doing our part to be judged by Christ when he appears as being without spot or blemish. Now, you might ask, well, wait a minute, Scott, is that really our part? <laughs> that we would be judged by Christ to be without spot or blemish? How is it that that we do anything in that? Isn't it totally and utterly of Christ that because of what he has done, what he has accomplished on our behalf, that we would be seen as righteous in God's sight, that we would be declared righteous and and be without spot or blemish? Isn't it because Christ has stored up righteousness for us in his holy and righteous life? Isn't it because Christ has washed away our sin by the shedding of his blood? Isn't it because Christ settled God's wrath in our place against our sin and that he rose again because of righteousness? Wasn't it Christ who was spotless for us? Yes, absolutely. 
And it's because of Christ and his righteousness, because of Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection power, that all who trust in him are justified, are declared righteous in God's sight. But we also have to know and understand that all of those whom God justifies, he also sanctifies. And though it is God who sanctifies, we also have responsibility in that sanctification. That none of us are sanctified apart from our obedience. And we show then that we are truly in Christ by living a life that has and is increasing in Christ-like character qualities. As opposed to the false teachers who deny Christ's return, or deny that there is final judgment coming. And so they live deceitfully and licentiously. They show that they do not know Christ. But as we have an increase in moral excellence, excellence, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, and godliness, those Christ-like qualities, and so as we have an increase in those qualities, we show that we truly belong to Christ. In chapter 1 of 2 Peter, the apostle went over those Christ-like qualities in verses 5 through 7. And then he tells us the benefit of having those qualities. And then we read in chapter 1, verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. And so really what we saw there in chapter 1 of, of Peter saying that uh, we confirm our calling and election, we confirm our salvation by having an increasing in these qualities we really see him saying the same thing here as we come to chapter 3, verse 14. It's the same thing. That we confirm our salvation. Uh, we demonstrate the evidence of our salvation by being diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. That those who are saved will strive for righteous living. We will be putting off sin more and more. And we will continue to do that until the day that Christ takes us to be with him. Till the day that we see him and see him for who he is and, and in his full glory. And so on that day, we will then be holy. We are striving for holiness now. We are putting off sin more and more now. But when that day comes, we will be complete and we will be holy as he is holy. Living in light of that day, we, we are diligent now to be found by him is striving for holiness, to be found by him, to be judged by him as being without spot or blemish and at peace. And my friends, let me ask, when Christ appears, will you be found to be at peace? Because you are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. Are you trusting in Christ's saving work on your behalf? Is your life demonstrating the evidence of that faith, of that salvation? Now, someone might argue, well, I mean, as I live this life, I'm never really going to be holy. I'm never going to be perfect. And granted, that is true. All of us here are continually confessing sin before our Lord, continually repenting. But that doesn't mean that our aim is not to be of the utmost holiness. 
I mean, we read that that is to be our aim in 1 Peter, right? When we read, be holy as he who called you is holy. Our aim is to be as holy as God is holy, which there is no greater standard of holiness. There could be. That is the infinite standard of holiness. And that's what the Bible calls us to, to surrender our lives to him. It's the false teachers who do not pursue the utmost holiness. Those who do not trust that Christ is truly returning and is coming in, in wrath. But you, Christian, you, North Valley Baptist Church, know better. Christ is coming. And it's because of sin, it's because of rebellion against our Lord, that his judgment is coming. But all who trust in Christ are found as righteous in his sight because of the righteousness of Jesus. And all that he has declared as righteous, he sanctifies, he causes us to grow in holiness. And as we pursue that holiness, we confirm our calling and election as we have an increase in Christ-like character qualities. And so Peter commands the diligence in pursuing holiness. And then also, in light of the destruction of the universe with fire and the coming new heavens and earth, Peter then commands that believers count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Like we discussed last week. If Christ came and his judgment fell and swept you away before you repented, you would perish for all eternity. But as it is, it is not his will for any of us trusting in him to perish. But his will is that all his elect would come to repentance and all his elect will come to repentance. And so his patience means salvation. And he will receive all who repent. All who trust in Christ will be saved. Even if they repent at the end of the 11th hour. Those who do will be no less saved than those who have been Christians for years on end. Now, we don't know when that 11th hour is going to be, right? And so for someone to say that they're just going to continue on and, you know, when, in the end, you know, before they die, before it all comes to a close, then they'll repent. Well, that, that's just dumb, if I can be frank. You don't know when Christ is going to appear. You don't know when his judgment is going to fall. And even if you were to die before then, you don't know when you're going to die. To think you're going to have to count on a deathbed conversion is just foolish. All of our days are numbered, and we'll be taken out of this world in one way, shape, or form, and we have no idea how or when we'll be taken out. And there's no chances of repentance after death. Also, to think that you're going to enjoy your sin as long as you can and, and repent before the end really just demonstrates, actually, that you, you don't know what repentance is. It demonstrates that you don't have genuine repentance. See, many people 
think that trusting in Christ really is no more than fire insurance, and that is certainly not true. So we have to understand what these things are. We have to understand what we are being called to. And really, I don't think there's any better way of bringing out what repentance has said than than the way Martin Lloyd-Jones has. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about repentance. He said, Repentance means that you realize that that you are a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you are hell-bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, that you long to get rid of it, and that you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, the world in its mind and outlook, as well as its practice. You deny yourself and take up your cross and go after Christ. That's what repentance is. It is a turning from your sin. It is a a recognition of what your sin is and what your sin has earned you before God. And it is a turning to Christ. To say that you are going to wait until after you've had your fill of sin to repent is not repentance. And to think that way in repentance shows that you don't know this God who is holy. The God who is holy Holy, holy, the God who is going to judge the world in his holiness. The God who sent his son to deal with sin because his justice needed to be met because he is holy. This is the God who calls us to be holy as he is holy. So my friends, you know this God, you know him through Jesus Christ. You must look to Christ. You must believe upon him who is your Lord and the only way of salvation. My friends, Christ is returning and judgment is coming. And the fact that in his patience he has not brought that judgment yet means that the offer of salvation is still available. That he still beckons you to come. Trust in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you are saved, You are trusting in Christ. Live in light of the fact that you know that judgment is coming and will burn up this universe and that his glorious grace has reserved for you a place in the new universe, in the new heavens and earth. Be living now in this day of patience, counting the patience of our Lord as salvation. Being grateful that the Lord was patient with you. As as we think of what we've been, as as we think of who we are apart from Christ, uh, it should cause us to rejoice and be overwhelmed with gratitude because of his patience. How patient has he been with me? I think as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 3, to remember, and to remember what? What he said in chapter 2, that we were dead in our transgressions and sins, uh, that we follow the the prince of the air, uh, that we were children of wrath, That's who we are apart from Christ. That's who we are. And if we die in that state, we know nothing but separation from God to know his wrath for eternity. But he's been patient with us. That he would call us to repentance and faith. That he would bring us to himself before his judgment fell. We must count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Then there in the middle of verse 15, 
as Peter is instructing his readers to live in light of the the burning away of this universe and, and the coming new heavens and earth. He then asserts that this is the same thing that the apostle Paul taught when he wrote to, his, to Peter's recipients. Now, this raises the question, when did Paul write to these churches? And some of that, and answering that question, depends on who these churches are. Uh, I've argued, and, and again, I could be wrong, uh, but I gave reasons why I would argue that the recipients of Second Peter are the same recipients as First Peter. Uh, but still, that doesn't really answer the question as we think, okay, what letters did these churches have of Paul? And uh, as we think of what letters that, that we have in our Bibles, those that are Scripture, uh, but really, it's, it's an impossible question to answer. Um, one, it's clear that Paul intended many, if not all, of his letters to be circulated to other churches, and many, if not all, his letters were circulated to other churches. And in any case, uh, Peter is saying that in the letters they have from Paul, uh, they have the same teaching on how they should live. That, that, that's really what Peter's getting at here. What Peter's saying, what I've told you in my letter is the same thing you've heard from Paul in, in his letters. And Peter says that, that Paul wrote such things according to the wisdom given him. And verse 16 says, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. And we can see that he does speak of these things. We can see the wisdom that he wrote with in the letters that we have from Paul in our Bibles, those letters that are Scripture. Now, there are those who argue that in saying this too, Peter is trying to reclaim Paul for team true apostles, that the false teachers had tried to claim Paul as their own to help propagate their false teaching. And so they took the things that Paul said and twisted them to make it sound like Paul was saying the same thing they were saying. And really, if that's what's going on here, that, that's a tactic that continues on today. That there are those who take scriptures and take teachers and twist what they're saying to try to get them to make it seem like they're on their side, to, to try and build credibility in the things that they are trying to spread. As I was writing this, I thought about the book Love Wins by Rob Bell. Uh, I don't recommend reading it. <laughs> um, but in that book, he tries to promote a, a universalism, that in the end, everyone will be saved. And, and he quotes from the Gospel of Luke. He, he quotes from the, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man to somehow through that show that hell is not eternal. That, that's, that's a hard pill to swallow. He quotes from Revelation to try and show that hell is not eternal. And then he, he uses different teachers well. He tries to quote from Martin Luther. And if you've read even the littlest bit of Martin Luther, you know Luther thought and believed that hell is eternal. But when we cherry-pick verses and, and take people out of context to twist what they say, to try to bring credibility to false teaching, we continue to see that today. That's the, the depth of deception of false teachers. And we need to be aware of that. Again, we always need to be taking what we hear and, and measure it against Scripture, which means we ourselves need to know Scripture. 
We, we need to be careful that, that just because someone quotes from a, a, a faithful teacher, just because they quote a, a Charles Spurgeon or, or Martin Lloyd-Jones or Don Green or John MacArthur, uh, that, that this person is teaching what is right and true. No, we, we need to be careful. We need to take what they say and measure it against Scripture. We need to always be keeping an eye on our Bibles whenever we're hearing a teacher. But in any case, whether Peter is trying to reclaim Paul or not, he, he does point to Paul as agreeing with him uh, in these matters. And clearly, again, the false teachers, uh, at the very least, were, were twisting the hard things that Paul taught to make it sound like Paul was saying what they were saying. And so they were probably using some of the things where maybe there was some confusion or debate on what Paul meant or how to apply what Paul said, and they used that confusion to their advantage. As being, as Peter said, ignorant and unstable, uh, they twisted what Paul said to their own destruction. Now, as we, we think about what Peter's saying here, uh, we should note that what it implies that if the, the false teachers twisted what Paul said, that even though there were things that Paul said that were hard to understand, it uh, doesn't mean that there wasn't meaning and truth behind what Paul said. It doesn't mean that what Paul said couldn't be understood. It just was less clear, or maybe better said, more complicated. And so that complication opened the door for the false teachers to twist what Paul said. But this didn't happen with just Paul, though. Uh, this was something that the, the false teachers did. As Peter says here, that they twisted Paul's word as they do the other scriptures. So what's very clear here is that, again, these false teachers are scripture twisters. That's what they do. There are those who are referring to, to preachers who, who want to tickle people's ears, who want to gather a following after themselves. And so they tell people what they want to hear. They tell people what they have to to gather that following. And, and truth and, and what is right is, is not what matters to them. But their own selfish gain is what matters. And, and people are deceived as they may read a passage of Scripture and, and seemingly base what they're saying off of it, or as they, they may quote the Scripture and say, see, they, they preach the Bible. But when we don't do the legwork ourselves to go back to the scriptures and say, okay, is that really within the context of the letter that they're reading from, of what the original author was saying? We need to know the word ourselves. And the more we know the word, then the more that we will be able to recognize when someone is twisting God's word. We are to be a people of the Word. We are to be in the Word, studying it, growing in it, to know God's Word more as we desire and grow in knowing God more. And that takes effort and work. Absolutely. And so we may be discouraged in that. You know, that that's, just, that's just a lot of work. But you know what? How often, when we see something as valuable and important, are we willing to put the work into it? 
And so we have to ask the question then, how valuable and how important is it to know God in knowing his word? How valuable is it to know this God who created all that is seen and unseen by nothing more than the command of his word, and he holds everything in existence by that word? Do we miss the value and importance of knowing this God through knowing his word? But this is the God who is the sovereign over all of history in the universe. This is the God who sent his son. This is the God, God the Son, who became a man and represented humanity before the Father. That he suffered and died to pay the price that we deserve. And not only did he die, this is the God who rose again, who is alive to never die again, but to reign over all as Lord. Do we not see the value and the importance of knowing him through knowing his word? I mean, my friends, there, all of you who, who get up and go to work in the morning, you got to say there are times when you just don't feel like getting up and going to work, right? But you do. Why? Because you know the value in it. You know the importance of it. And if you can get up and go to work because you recognize the importance and value in that, can you not get yourself to sit before the Word of God, to study it and reading it, to know the even greater, infinitely greater value there is in that? We are to know God's word and know God through his word. And as we grow in knowing God through his word, grow in his word, then we will be all the more equipped to recognize the false teaching and the lies when we hear them. It's so vital and so important. Let us be a people of the word. And recognize that those who twist the scriptures do it to their own destruction. And as we've seen through Second Peter, that those false teachers will face destruction and those who follow the false teachers will have the same fate. We need to recognize what is false when we hear it. Also, too, we should recognize what also is being said here by Peter. That Peter is equating what Paul said with the Old Testament scriptures. He says that they, they twisted what Paul said just as they do the other scriptures. So just as the Old Testament writers spoke from God as, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, so did Paul. For what he was writing was, scripture was, God breathed. It was the very word of God as with every New Testament writer. And then we see there in verse 17, it says, therefore, therefore. And so Peter here is pointing to the logical conclusion of all that he's written here. Christ is indeed returning. Judgment is indeed coming. Judgment that will burn up this universe and it will be no more. Yet the false teachers, living licentiously, they deny this. They maintain a lie and deliberately ignore the truth. But Peter has warned his readers of these things. He's warned of the false teachers. He's warned of their lies. And he told them that Christ is coming and judgment is coming. Therefore, therefore, 
we see that his readers are forewarned. Therefore, being forewarned, knowing these things ahead of time, Peter tells them that they must take care. Or it could be translated as they are to watch. They must watch out that they are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose their own stability. Lawless people are those who ignore God's standard of righteousness, of justice, of what is good and holy. And they are those who live apart from God's law and so are morally bankrupt, which is what these false teachers were. And what Peter is calling for here is discernment. We must be willing to think through what we hear and compare it to what we know of what the scriptures say. You know, and again, as we talk about the importance of knowing God's word, <laughs> there is so much out there, and we've talked about this before, there's so much out there to help us to know God's word. There are free resources out there that are great and helpful. And we've, again, we've discussed this before. If, if you want to, I'm not going to get into those things now, but you can, you can come talk to me and we can, we can discuss that. There's so much that's helpful out there that really we have no excuse to not be in God's word and growing in his word. But also, too, with there being so much good out there, the other side of that, there's also so much that's bad out there that's contrary to God's word. So we might ask, well, all right, how do I start then even? If I, I need to grow in God's word and I, to know the difference and to be able to discern, I mean, where do I start to even know what, what to help me with that I can grow and, and know God's word when, when I may not even know what I'm getting at to begin with? My friends, that's why we're a church together. That's why we all together sit under God's word and are to be growing together in God's word. That's why we're to be working in each other's lives and investing in each other, discipling each other, growing together as we press each other on to greater depths of maturity in God's word. That's why we have others and we should seek out others to come alongside of us and disciple us. Hey, hey you're, you're further along than I am. Hey, can, can, would you mind sitting down with me and, and going through some things and helping me? And maybe even you yourself, you can go to somebody else and say, hey, let's, let's get together and, and, and let's go over these things together. Be discipled and be discipling. That's why we're here together and growing together that we can point each other to other things. We can ask each other, hey, hey, you, you, you're further along. Is this, is this something I can use? Is this something that's helpful? That's why we're a church together. So let's be together and work together and help each other together. Because there is so much out there that's garbage. On the radio, on TV, on the internet, and podcasts, and, and K-Love. All of those things. And we need to be discerning instead of just drinking in the Kool-Aid of the things that we hear and so lose our own stability. Or it could be translated as, as fall from our safe position. It's true. As God's word clearly teaches, it is God who saves us. And it is God who keeps us saved. Absolutely true. But in keeping us saved, he uses means to do that. And one of the means he uses is us together as a church and his word. He uses his word. In other words, knowing our security in Christ 
should not cause us to, to fail to take what God's Word says seriously and to be digging into it and knowing it. He, he uses the, the warnings of His Word. He, he uses the, the teachings and the doctrines and, and, and the understanding of who He is that's revealed in His Word. And so if we are truly secure in Christ, which if we are trusting in Christ, we are, then we are a people who take his word seriously. We are a people who take the warnings about sin seriously and take doctrine seriously. The one who is truly trusting in Christ pursues holiness, pursues increasing in Christ-like character qualities, as his word tells us, and as one who cares about the truths of God's word. So care about doctrine. Care about what's true and reject the false. And so once again, taking care or watching out so that we are not carried away. That instead we are diligent to confirm our calling and election. What we believe and what we hold to, the plain truths of Scripture, holding firm to those gospel truths, persevering in them. All of that is, is evidence of our salvation, as God is causing us to persevere. And so instead of being carried away by deceitful errors of the lawless false teachers and lose your own safe or, or secure position, instead we are to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we see that there in verse 18. And that being said there in verse 18, Douglas Moose suggests that that is the key verse to all of 2 Peter. Instead of growing in licentiousness, instead of being ensnared in sin, instead of falling into the traps of the false teachers, and so being carried away by every wind and wave of doctrine, instead we are to be growing. We're to be growing in grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. Grace is sourced in Jesus Christ. Now, at the beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, verse 2, we read, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. All who believe have already been given grace to be saved and therefore forgiven of their sins and, and have peace with God. And so there in chapter 1, Peter referred to the continuing of grace and peace in which we grow and are therefore sustained in the faith. And we see that there, this comes to us through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus. In this knowledge, sustaining grace and peace is multiplied to us. And so now as we come to the final verse in 2 Peter, Again, we see that the need to continue and to increase in grace in order to be sustained. We saw at the beginning of the body of this letter, starting there in verse 3, how God has provided for us for everything we need for life and godliness. And therefore, he's provided for us by his grace. It's his grace that we would continue to be sanctified and grow. And so have an increase in those Christ-like character qualities. 
It's by his grace. We must grow in grace, continuing to grow in holiness, standing firm, not to fall, but instead persevere to the end until we enter into our eternal reward. And so an evidence of our salvation that we have ever received God's saving grace is that we continue then to grow in grace. All true Christians grow in grace. And so just as we had discussed God uses means that cause us to persevere, as we persevere growing in grace, he, he uses means that cause us to grow in grace. And what we see here in Second Peter is that he uses the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Again, chapter 3 here, verse 18. We see we are to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, but what's crystal clear there in chapter 1, verse 2, is that growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord are not mutually exclusive. They go together. To grow in the knowledge of Christ is to grow in grace. And we grow in that knowledge through the Scriptures. And as we grow in our knowledge of the scriptures, we grow in our knowledge of the Lord. And growing in our knowledge of the Lord, we, we grow in our walk with him. Because the scriptures reveal him to us more and more. He who is our Lord, he who is our Savior. We learn more of who he is and all of his glory. And believing it, our lives are then brought more and more into submission to him. All of this is by God's provision for life and godliness in his word. And so again, let me ask you, do you want to know him? Do you want to know him more? If you're saying, listen, I know him, but have no desire to know him more, do you really know him? I mean, we're talking about the God of the universe. Of all the great things that we could say, oh, I want more of that. Oh, I wish I, I knew more about that. We're, we're talking about the God of the universe. Can we really say we know him and yet not want to know him more? Charles Spurgeon said this, He who grows not in the knowledge of Jesus refuses to be blessed. To know him is life eternal, and to advance in the knowledge of him is to increase in happiness. He who does not long to know more of Christ knows nothing of him yet. If you know the love of Jesus, as the deer pants for water brooks, so you will pant after deeper drafts of his love. Uh, drafts there. Uh, if, if Andrew Barden was still here, he would tell us that that is English speak for drinking in or inhaling. So again, if you know the love of Jesus... As the deer pants for the water brook, so will you pant after deeper drinking in of or, or, or inhaling of his love. Spurgeon goes on to say, If you do not desire to know him better, then you love him not. For love always cries nearer, nearer. Absent from Christ is hell, but the presence of Jesus is heaven. Rest not then content without an increasing acquaintance with Jesus. Seek to know more of him in his divine nature, in his human relationship, in his finished work, in his death, in his resurrection, in his present glorious intercession, and in his future royal advent. My friends, do you, do you want to know more of Jesus? Do you want to know him more? Do you want to know him deeper? 
Do you know him at all? To know him, truly know him through his word, is to want to know him more. He is the God of all. So my friends, let's, let's get to know him more. Let's, let's grow in grace as we grow in the knowledge of his word that we do know our Lord and Savior and live for him in everything. He is so great and so glorious. Matter of fact, he's so glorious that he is deserving of all honor and glory. And so as Peter draws his letter to an end, he closes with an inscription of glory to Christ. He says there, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Jesus is worthy of glory. And we ourselves in our lives as we live, we should be living therefore for his glory. He is so worthy of glory. He's worthy of us giving him the glory now. And he's worthy of when we serve before his throne in the new heavens and earth, that he's worthy of that glory we give him then. Because he's all glorious. He's our wondrous Savior, our glorious God. And so let us live then in light of the day that we will spend in the new heavens and new earth serving before his throne. Let us live now knowing that Jesus is our Lord and live before him in everything we do to point others to him because there is no one greater that we can point to. So let us live for our great and awesome Savior. Let us live and give him the glory as he tells us that we should live to give him the glory. That we live pursuing the utmost degree of holiness, that we pursue being holy as God is holy, which means that as we fall short, we are continually repenting, continually confessing that sin and continually then pursuing that holiness. That we gather as a church together under God's word and, and are part of each other's growth and discipleship in that word to know that word, to grow in knowing that word that when we hear what is not of God's word, we can recognize it. And we can dismiss it and throw it out. That we would stand firm in our faith and our walk with Jesus Christ as we are growing in grace. Growing in grace through knowing our Lord, knowing Jesus through his word. And so my friends, let's continue in all of these things. Let's continue in view of the day of judgment coming and the day of the new heavens and new earth. We have been warned ahead of time of these things. We know the truth of God's word, and therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, let us take care that we are not carried away with the errors of lawless people, that we are not swept away by every wind of doctrine, but we stand firm in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth of his word, living for his honor and glory in everything we do. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of North Valley Baptist Church. For the complete sermon archive and more information about the church, please go to visit nvbc.com.